You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios, the local, the state, the national, man, we cover down on all the issues, and like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, welcome to Wednesday at 2.06 p.m., and Boomer's on the board. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Wearing short <laughs> sleeves today. I know, and here I am wearing long <laughs> sleeves and a vest. I don't know what to do. Yesterday, I'm the one that had the short sleeves on. Yeah. What, what, what month is this? <laughs> I, I can't keep up. And by the way, can we just have our daylight back, please? Oh, I, yes. I mean, when can we go ahead and spring forward on the clocks and get all our daylight back? I, uh, just, I would love that. Like, maybe permanently, like never, ever again. <laughs> Daylight savings time is ridiculous. All right, hey, listen, we got a great show for you, but before we do anything else, I got to say it's the middle of the week. It is Wednesday. That means it's time for the camel. Hit it. Uh oh. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. All right. Yes. Outstanding. Gotta love it. Wednesday. Congratulations. You have made it halfway through the week. You are halfway to Friday. So, um, all right. We're going to have a great show for you. I got, I got some stuff laid on for you at three o'clock today. Stephanie Smith, our friend who is often on the show, is now the new president of the Alabama Policy Institute. Stephanie's going to be on with us talking about the, uh, the, the, the last night's State of the Union address. And uh, so, yeah, you want to stay tuned for that. She always has great commentary. 3 p.m., Stephanie Smith from the Alabama Policy Institute. And at 4 o'clock, our weekly sojourn into madness and questioning, the Grand Council with my brethren Jeff Poor and Dale Jackson. We do this every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Last week we had to shift the day, but that was a one-off. So anyway, the Grand Council convenes today at 4 o'clock. You don't want to miss that. And then I got a triple-dipper bar none hit it. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right, the Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, the state of disunion. That's it, the state of disunion. I mean, I, I, I look at it and think, okay, the state of the union address, yes, I watched it. I did. I even took notes. Yes. But the state of disunion is what I'm seeing. So we'll talk about that. Number one, we'll break it all down, give you all the things. And if you, those of you who didn't watch it last night, you're probably better off than I was. Um, we'll tell you all the things that happened. Number two, I, just listen, that whole balloon thing, I'm not going to recount where it went and all this kind of stuff, but here's the deal. We are going to talk about why it matters. I got to thinking, you know, it's important that we look at this from all angles, militarily, uh, intelligence, uh, diplomatic. Yeah. So why, why does, and so I just called number two, why that darn balloon matters. That's why I'm calling it number two on the triple dipper, why that darn balloon matters. And then number three, reverse racism. I saw an article this morning early on, like early, early when I was working on the show, and it, and it basically said that they're looking for a new judge to be appointed to the bench in Montgomery, excuse me, in Mobile, and there are calls for it to be a, a, a black uh, judge. Like, that's supposed to make it the best judge. And, and, I, and, I, and I look at this and go, okay, there are wonderful black men and women who practice law that could earn the right to go to the bench. They should not be picked because of their color because allegedly— the law is blind. 
So if the law is already picking people based on their color, then how blind can it be when it comes time to adjudicate? We'll talk about that. Number three on the Triple Dipper, reverse racism. That's what we'll cover down on. All right, so let me, let me jump over to my comments. So let me I'll ask you this question first of all, too. Is it just me, or did everybody grow up sitting at the kids' table during Thanksgiving? I mean, I don't even know for sure if that's just a Southern thing or not, but somehow I doubt it. For me, it was always when we got together on my dad's side of the family because that's where all the cousins were. We'd head over to my aunt and uncle's house down in Pleasant Grove. My brother and I, our cousins, and the occasional stray friend or a second cousin's kids that came over for the meal. And we always sat at what we called the kids' table, the one in the kitchen, while all the grown-ups sat at the dining room table together. I mean, there was some good cutting up. There was some occasional food that you stole off your little cousin's plate or the hollering that commenced when someone got kicked under the table. But for the most part, it was laughter and homemade everything. But then you always had to make the occasional foray into the dining room to ask if you could have seconds or to tell on your brother or to ask if we could go outside and play now, but not until you've eaten your green beans, young man. And how many times does someone or all of us at the kids' table get out of hand and at least one of the adults turn from the grown-up conversation to shout, y'all keep it down in there. Stop poking your sister. Eat your vegetables. Let us enjoy our meal, please. Answer me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And five minutes later, we're just back to it as kids do. But as much as I enjoyed being at the kids' table, there was always this sense that one day I would graduate up, you know what I'm saying? Matriculate to the dining room where food ran aplenty and there seemed no end of laughter that I could not explain and grown-up conversations that I didn't understand. It's a rite of passage, that, that time when every kid is allowed or perhaps even invited to sit at the grown-up's table and to hear the grown-up conversations about work or news or neighbors or memories from before I was born. Those grown-up conversations were often a mystery. Sometimes they resulted in the usual questions like, Dad, who are they talking about? Follow quickly by, don't interrupt, son. Until suddenly one day something gets said in a grown-up conversation at the grown-up table and you actually understand it, maybe even relate to it. And on that day of days, you chime in and your comments are actually well-received. At that point, you feel like adulthood has arrived because you were in the grown-up conversation and they treated you like, well, a grown-up. Having said all of that, can we just have a grown-up conversation right now? All of us here in Right Side Land, can we, just, can we talk a minute? Because sometimes I look around the world and I feel like I'm sitting at the adult table, but somehow or another the kids' table is the one dominating all the discourse. I mean, look at society right now. When did it become right for wrong to be considered right? I, I know traditions and mores and cultures, they can, they can shift over time. But even when they do, even when society picks up a new fashion or does less of one thing, more of another, even when those cultural shifts take place, they are usually still guided by right being right and wrong being wrong. Principles, if you will, because principles, by their very nature, don't change. Principles are meant to withstand the fickle winds of culture. And so I'm just saying that all of us that are in the know, we need to have a grown-up conversation and deal with the kids' table. So last night I watched the Biden State of the Union address, and, and it was hard. You know where I stand on the issues, but I've also just gotten to where his mannerisms, they chafe me as much as his words, but I watched it. I took notes. And when he had finished talking like the kid who desperately wants to sit at the grown-up table before his time, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the daughter of Governor Mike Huckabee, former White House press secretary, now the youngest governor in America, she came on and she had an adult conversation. And it was refreshing to me, to say the least. She opened up by saying, forgive me for not believing much of anything I heard tonight from President Biden, because Biden and the Democrats have failed you. There's an opening. 
In contrast to the hour and 12 minutes of rambling through odd shouts and insults to the right side of the aisle and an unmitigated spending wish list, Governor Sanders made it clear that those of us on the right are not out of our minds for thinking that the left are out of their minds. She went on, reiterating that America is, quote, the greatest country the world has known because it's the freest ever known. Sanders also affirmed the belief that, quote, government exists not to rule the people but to serve the people. Contrasting herself with Biden, Sanders said, At 40, I'm the youngest governor in the country. At 80, he's the oldest president in American history. I'm the first woman to leave my state. He's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. (laughs) That Biden and the radical left wanted America that, quote, taxes you and lights your hard-earned money on fire. And while you, quote, get crushed with high gas prices, empty grocery shelves, and our children are taught to hate one another on account of their race, but not to love one another or our great country. And then, y'all... I kid you not, she dropped the bomb, no fooling. In the political equivalent of the adults shouting to the kids' table to keep it down and eat their veggies, Governor Sanders went on to say this. She said, quote, Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. Sanders said, The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. It was refreshing. It was, it was affirming. It was a grown-up conversation. So, yes, I'm glad that I stayed up a little bit longer to hear it being said because sometimes I do what I do and I say what I say, but it does me good, like I'm sure all of you does, to hear someone else speak out and clearly and unequivocally speak words of truth to power that remind me that we are at the grown-up table. We have the knowledge and the experience and the care and the concern to clearly and articulately tell the unruly kids over there at the other table to keep it down and eat their vegetables. Or in this conversation, to quit trying to pretend that there's more than two genders or that tax dollars grow on trees or that children really want to have their bodies altered for life because that's just so cool that failing schools should be allowed to continue failing. Well, I tell you what, all those things and more, how about about no? I'm done with that. All y'all in right side land, let's enjoy the fact that we are the ones at the grown-up table. Y'all keep it down in there. The grown-ups are talking. And that's a wrap for the right side way. Well, there you have it. And I, I, did, I did feel like as she came on and began to present common sense and just say it. I mean, she just flat out said it's about normal versus crazy. I mean, she wasn't playing. And I thought, so refreshing to have the grown-up conversation. And last night, that's where the genesis for today's monologue came. All right, you guys, we got a whole lot more. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right. So, Boomer, I got to ask you, 
Did, did you did you have a kids table growing up? Was it like a Thanksgiving time oh, frame? Was it there was a kids of table? Of course we did. <laughs> uh, Is yeah. that a southern thing? Yeah, it may be. I but I was in that kids table for a very long time. <laughs> very long time. I think was, I I didn't even get out out of the kid table till. I was maybe a couple years into my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you're married, paying your own bills, yeah. and sitting at the kids' table, wondering why you're still over there. Yeah. Oh. But it, yes, I, there was definitely kids' tables. Oh my, yeah. I mean, so I mean, we we had them, and it was usually only when the cousins were around because you know, at my my mom's side of the family, it was it was a smaller family, so mm-hmm. you know we. We sat there and just had to mind our P's and Q's and use our manners. Got to use the good manners because you're at the good, good table. That's right, the yeah. good manners, not the bad manners. <laughs> use your good manners. And um, well, that just came out of nowhere. That was like that was a flash from my past. I'm having I'm sitting over having flashbacks right now. Use your good manners. And oh, you can my good see manners. exactly where you're sitting too. I'm yes, sure. uh-huh. I can. Uh-huh. And um, and you know, and then we're we're eating on the fine china now at at my granny's house when all the cousins were sitting at the kids' table. It was paper plates, you know. Paper plate, of course, of course. And then we go to my grandparents' house on my mom's side, and it was the china that came out once a year, you oh. know. So you almost felt like you were not sure if you could scrape your plate because it might hurt something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you, so, you, so you had to sit at the kids' table till you were married? Yeah, until I was married. Is that, a, is that a reflection on your you know, how many seats were available at the table? Or how I'm many, guessing or your, that or your was. We, I mean, we did have a lot of people at our Thanksgiving. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I enjoy telling people, yeah, I had to sit at the kids' table, you know, the kids' table at this Thanksgiving. So you are like 23? <laughs> <laughs> 23, and then, I mean, no, I, did, I got married at 29. That's right, you did. I did. I went to the wedding. I should yeah, remember this. And then, so, yes, I was at the kid table till I was at least 30. <laughs> that is hilarious uh, I gotta get my I gotta get on the, the text line here real quick Because I see some folks texting in A lot of folks have already been texting in You want to text in, you are welcome to it The number is 833-687-4448 That's 833-68-RIGHT um, What it, uh, Doman from Harvest says uh, We had kid tables up north too Okay, alright, so it's not a southern thing There you go They get them up yonder above the Mason-Dixon line They still have kid <laughs> tables But did you have sweet tea? That's what I want to oh. know uh, what else we got? Brian from Huntsville just texted in and said, kids table, 58 years old is still there. <laughs> uh, Jeff from Indiana says, sadly enough, Phil, you usually get to go sit at the adult table when you start losing the adults. And that's a true. Dang, way to be a buzzkill there, Jeff. But yeah, um, I, I like to think of it as though they added a seat. They added a seat. That's what it was. My table it was. Um, Andrew Mathis just texted in and said, kids' tables in East Central Indiana in the 70s and 80s. See, okay, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. They all had kids' that's tables. That's good. Yeah. And then, and then you always had to, Mom, Dad, <laughs> so-and-so did this. Eat your, eat your vegetables and stop it. It, 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 it. I mean, I can just, I'm having these so many flashbacks right now. I did this whole monologue today. I was <laughs> typing it, and I was like, I kept pausing and laughing about memories. Uh, all right, listen, we got plenty on tap today. We're going to talk today about, we're going to start off with State of the Disunion. Uh, we're going to talk about Biden's address last night. I'm curious how many people actually watched it. Um, and so, Boomer, I'm asking, did you, did you not? Did you, did you not? Did you, did I you? I did not. Oh! I know. Boom shakalaka. I know, I, I did not, but I have heard a lot about it all day. <laughs> I did a... Uh, I did a, uh, a a blow by blow tweet like like I had I had a Twitter string going as things happened during the State of the Union I was tweeting things out 
And every once in a while, every once in a while, there would be something I'd go, okay, he said this, and I agree with that. And then there'd be something the next minute where I just have to go, don't do it, don't say don't it, say and it. he did. Oh. Um, but, yeah. Bob from Decatur just texted in and says, good thing they didn't fly that balloon over Alabama. We got some good old boys down here that would ride up there and roll down the window on their Cessna and throw a hammer at it to bring it down. <laughs> throw a hammer at it. <laughs> got some strongins down here. I'm... I'm pretty sure there'd been there'd have been a hunting rifle or you know something with thirty out buck loaded in it and um, uh, a double out buck. I mean, uh, oh, um, Alice from Huntsville for your benefit, Boomer. Alice just said, "Boomer, smart man." Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Alice. Um, oh, actually, I'm not sure what she's saying. She says, "Boomer, smart wait man to t- wait till you're 29." <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's, she's talking about the smart. kids' table. Yeah, yeah, it was smart to wait. Right I thought she was saying smart man for not watching the State of the Union. Well, thank you. For both. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I watched it, and, uh, and I'm going to give you plenty of um, my thoughts on it. Daniel from Tullahoma has already given me his thoughts. Says Biden's hate of the union was nothing more than a lecture to the American people. There were times when it was. I mean, it's funny. I've gotten to where I watch him give speeches, and I find myself going, okay, here comes Whisper Biden. Okay, here comes Angry Joe. Okay. Here ca- you, can, you can see the different caricatures of himself that he, okay, here comes I don't know what I'm about to say now, Joe. And, um. And there were a couple of moments where he went off script, and you could tell. Which, you know, uh, by the way, I think sometimes the best speeches are the ones where the speaker can go off script and then come back. Um, although I don't know that's his gift. I don't. I don't know that's his gift. Um, going off. Going off is basically, I think, where his 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 staff is off in the wings, beginning to panic. He's he's off again. He's off the teleprompter. Oh God, what's he going to say? Karine Jean Pierre is having a panic attack in the back room. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, there were times when he went off script, one of which was related to oil and gas. And it was it was just funny and it drew reaction like for a minute there. Remember a few years back we had um one member of Congress who yelled out the word liar and I think it was to Obama. And he yelled liar and he was censored for it. And you don't do that. That's a breach of decorum. Well, last night you had to censor, you know, half of Congress. It sounded more like the, the you know, House of Parliament. And uh, you know, there we are in the House of Commons. And everybody, I mean, there was a lot. And so at one point, President Biden went off script and he delved into a conversation that he says he had with a leader in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. I'm going to tell you about that when we get back. Because it was one of those moments where I thought, did he just say that? And the room broke out. All right, coming right back, number one of the Triple Dipper, State of Disunion. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
fans out there. You are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about we are way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gadsden, parts of Georgia and Tennessee and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. All right. Hey, listen, um, number one of the Triple Dipper, state of disunion. And I got, I got a ton of text coming in, by the way. I mean, I'm looking at them right now. Some of the texts are more fun than the articles I've got in my hand. Um, uh, John from Huntsville said he gave Joe Biden an F minus. <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders an A plus. And then uh, uh, Adam from Decatur, he says, I know you had such a good time watching the State of the Union. Your, your buddy Biden was nothing but honest and encouraging. Yes. Yes, he was, Adam. Thank you very much. Um, and then, Boomer, it was already been said by um, Alex from Elkmont that you were not allowed to have coffee, apparently, at the kids' table. <laughs> I wasn't. That's that's the whole thing, guys. I wasn't able to have coffee. Do you, do you at the have kids my table. new Big Dave uh, coffee sound effect? Oh, the coffee sound effect. I'm sitting effect. drinking yes. my coffee yep. right now. It's right here. It's coffee time. <laughs> coffee, 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 coffee. Cappuccino. <laughs> Java. Yes. Where's that come from? I don't know, oh. but it's funny. Missy, Missy from Falkville says, "I wouldn't watch State of the Union for the same reason I won't watch mainstream media. I didn't want. I don't want to watch liars lie." <laughs> wow, Missy. <laughs> Um, Bryant from Huntsville said, oh, it's, this happened. This was a weird moment. So everybody's coming in, cameras are on, people are up in the uh, galleries, you know, who's sitting where. And then Jill Biden, the president's wife, first lady of the United States, comes walking over to Kamala Harris's husband and just plants a smoocher right on his lips. I mean, I'm talking about that was that was a full on lip smacker kiss. And uh, Bryant from Huntsville just reminded me of that. Bryant says, uh, I watched Jill Biden kiss Kamala's husband on the lips, got weirded out, turned it off. <laughs> it was it, it made the rounds on social media. Like one guy says, what in the actual, is this normal? <laughs> so, um, all right, before I jump in, I got a caller online. Is that Jeff from Indiana? Uh-huh. Jeff from Indiana on the southbound route. How you doing, buddy? No, maybe I'm northbound. <laughs> oh, northbound and down. What you got going, man? That's right. Hey, uh. I watched the uh, the uh, State of the Union speech on YouTube last night, YouTube. and I'm wondering how come I got to do that. I, Shouldn't it have been labeled disinformation or at least uh, taken off the air? <laughs> I mean, it's American disinformation. The, so, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if Trump, they, everything they said Trump did was this disinformation, so... Uh, I was really watching disinformation last night. Yeah, so and I, I let it run. I guess the YouTube uh, filters were were off or something. That is, everything was getting slipped on through. Yeah, I, I figured there'd be a little blue blue box underneath there saying, you know, this is disinformation or something, or you know, they the way how they label everything, but. Uh, it wasn't there, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering. I think we need to have some, some in house hearings on this or whatever and find out how come they're distributing disinformation. It's, it's you know, that Section 230's got to go, man. They're letting everything happen up there on uh, on social media now. It's just crazy. Crazy. I know. Oh, well, did you watch the whole thing through, Jeff? I watched all I could stomach, which is about 15 minutes of it, and it just... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I sat there and, and and I and I made myself sit on through it. I thought it's what you do, man. It's your job. Would you please keep watching? Okay, um, but 
Anyway, uh, I was Bidenized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new. That should be a new, f- f- a new thing. You get Bidenized because yeah. you just get so sick and tired of watching him sit there and lie to you. It just there, makes you into a zombie. There's a, there's a cure for that. Uh, there's, there's a vaccine or something. I'm sure. Um, and that an off switch. <laughs> that's the cure. All right, Jeff Rowe, be safe on the road, man. We appreciate you. Have a good one, Phil. See you, buddy. Um, you got another caller, Boomer? Yes, no? Yes, no? Uh, no, it was Susan from Elmont. She said the only time we ever saw um, uh, Kamala Harris' husband kiss uh, Joe Biden was when he had a mask on. That was the only other time we saw, saw that. That's what, that's what she wanted us to say, which is funny. Okay. It's supposed to be funny. Okay. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Uh, Allison from Madison says, Jeff from Indiana just nailed it. Allison, thank you very much, Jeff. You got a fan. Uh, Joe from Owens Crossroads says that kiss is called the Biden hello. (laughs) (laughs) The Biden hello. (laughs) Whoa. Here, let me sniff your hair. Okay. Uh, Brian from Huntsville says, I just love coffee. Have a kid's table for our friend Boomer. (laughs) Oh, God. Coffee, 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 coffee. Um, Joe Biden, John from Huntsville says, Joe Biden said he would need uh, at least another decade. (laughs) Oh, 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 he would need oil. Yeah, I know. I'm getting to that in a minute, John. That's one of my favorite moments from the whole thing. Uh, Adam from Decatur. Um, oh, the, the oh the thing about coffee. He said it came from Dante's Peak. Great movie. Okay, cool. All right, listen. Here's the thing. First of all, you need to know that your own delegation has spoken up. So a story from 1819 News this morning says that in the wake of President Biden's State of the Union speech, uh, he began his speech, of course, with calls for bipartisanship. All about it. Everybody's going to get along. Unicorns and rainbows. And he soon resorted, he said, to Democrat talking points regarding the need for more gun control, climate change initiatives, more taxes on the wealthy. And then he started getting into things about Social Security and Medicare, claiming that Republicans wanted to cut them, which drew a huge response uh, from um, uh, members of the uh, Republican delegations. But it goes on to say that some of our Alabama delegation, like Tommy Tuberville, Senator Tuberville says it's hard for President Biden to address the weakened state of our union when he doesn't seem to be living in the difficult reality he's created. Americans can't afford their utilities or groceries. They don't feel safe in their communities or villainized for their views by a president who promised to unite us. And not only did the president fail to offer solutions, he showed he doesn't even seem to understand the problems. He just paid lip service to progressive priorities. Uh, Senator Katie Britt, uh, she chimed in said that he was missing the whole perspective of Alabama parents and families who are struggling with inflation. She said parents and families are sitting around the kitchen table wondering how they're going to make ends meet in the face of crushing inflation, and they're worried about the price of groceries from eggs and milk to flour and chicken. Uh, Congressman Gary Palmer. The reality, it says, is Biden's energy policies are crushing America's households. They are now over 20 million households behind on their utility bills. Oh, wow. Uh, the Alabama Republican fr- Party, our, our friend John Wall, who was on the show the other day, He says, meanwhile, on the world stage, our adversaries are emboldened, as demonstrated by last week's Chinese spy balloon incident, which, by the way, Biden did not mention in the speech, did not even mention it. You know, honesty, truthfulness would have said, in the past week, we have dealt with China. And whether or not you agree with when I took it down, yada, 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 Here's the deal, China, and put them on notice. But did he do that? No. He, he claimed that he, he took a hard stand against China as evidenced by actions this past week, and that's all he said. Poof. Ghosted right out of it. Uh, Congressman Barry Moore, a friend who's been on the show several times, he says, President Biden devoted more time tonight to disarming law-abiding Americans than disarming foreign surveillance aircraft spying on Americans like you and me. Think about that. 
So yeah, the 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 Alabama delegation. I got other comments there from Jerry Carl, Congressman Adderholt. Um, basically, everybody had a thing to say. But I think the thing to say the 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 and I, and I you know of course I mentioned it in my monologue was Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Now, this is intriguing. She's the first ever female governor in the history of Arkansas. She's the youngest governor currently in the entire United States. She is um, uh, obviously uh, the first, uh, I think, father-daughter governorships ever anywhere. And, and all of this to say, she was an entirely different perspective than what we saw in Biden. And she pointed it out. I mean, she called it out. And she was, I, I won't say it was the most dynamic speech. I don't want to pretend that it was the best speech I've ever heard because it, it wasn't. I mean, I think her style is good, but it's very deliberative. And she had to keep remembering to smile. I, I, this is one of those things where I'm pretty sure someone in the background was giving her the, the smile. Smile. And she had to remind herself. But it was still a great speech in terms of its content. Absolutely great. And there were no gaffes. It wasn't like there was any embarrassing moment like Marco Rubio having to stop and sip water because he got dry, dry mouth in the middle of his speech. But, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she nailed it on content because she was not afraid to just say it. She didn't mince her words. She didn't try to be, you know, polite in the wake of all the things that were said by Biden. No, she just said, look, y'all, it's between normal and crazy. That's where we are. I mean, how... How refreshing it was to hear that. She also went on to say, it's time for a new generation of Republican leadership. I agree with that. I don't think she was just talking about a new age generation. I think she was talking about a new way of thinking Republican leadership. I think she was talking about, let's get in there and get back to our base. Remember that moderates are really just Democrats in, you know, in, in red ties. She went on to tout her efforts to combat wokeness. She talked about the fact that Biden's busy doubling down on crazy, she said. Literally, she said that. The president is doubling down on crazy while she's doing things like banning the use of the word Latinx in her state and pushing for things like critical race theory to get pulled out of schools. Um, and, and, and she just pointed out that the contrast and things that the Republican Party is standing for and doing what it can about and what she believes that Biden is doing or not doing. Um, listen, I mean, we, we, got, we got tons more of this. Coming up top of the hour, too, by the way, we're going to have Stephanie Smith on here. Stephanie's always got great content, good commentary. We'll see what her thoughts were on the State of the Union. Um, but I'll just tell you, one of the best moments in the whole thing, to me, like the moment where I, I caught myself and go, did he just say that? I wanted to rewind the TV. Which, by the way, I'm still freaked out that I can rewind live TV. The old guy. I'm just freaked out by it. But anyway, it's, it's cool. Biden, story on Fox News. Biden appears to go off script to say the U.S. needs oil and gas. <laughs> he did. He did. Y'all, I kid you not. There was a place in there where, he, where he, he, he appeared to almost like lose his train of thought and try to explain. And what happened was he, he made some comments that drew a, like a real quick kind of mixed reaction. Like some Republicans were almost like cheering and others were like booing because it's obvious that he's speaking out both sides of his mouth. He told this anecdote and it did not have the feel of being on the teleprompter. He said he was talking to an oil executive and he asked him why his company um, should invest in, you know, basically fuel and gas projects in light of the negative business atmosphere for fuel and gas products uh, projects. And Biden said he responded that, well, we're going to need oil and gas for years to come. 
Really? Is that what you're saying, Mr. President? And at that point, they got all kinds of you know reaction. And then he went on, he said, well, the guy said, we're afraid you're going to shut down all the oil wells, all the oil refineries, so why should we invest in them? Good question. I've said that on my show several times. And the president said his response was, well, we're going to need oil at least for another decade. Like, like, like at the end of 10 years, we're not going to need gas anymore. <laughs> it was laughable. It was a moment where you look at it and go, okay, the guy who's trying to push us to electric is meeting with the oil and gas industry, telling them we're still going to need you for a while. They're saying, why should we invest when you're crushing our souls? And he comes back with, well, we're going to need you for at least 10 more years, which is supposed to encourage them to invest billions. You can have a 10-year return on it. I mean, for the love. And, it, and he said it out loud. It, it, what's so funny is the hypocrisy of his push for green energy, literally, the hypocrisy got said out loud because he, 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 he stated it with, you know, unequivocally, he stated it, that we're going to need oil and gas for a while. And he even said, you know, for at least, at least 10 years, at least 10 years. How about this? It ain't going away. We may wind up having EVs, but we're still going to have gas. You're going to be pulling into a gas station. I'm, I'm going to guarantee you my grandkids will be pulling into a gas station. I guarantee you. My great-grandkids pulling into gas station. I guarantee you. Ain't nobody wants to drive to see their family for Thanksgiving and have to stop and spend a half hour waiting for the chance to spend another half hour charging their vehicle at a charging station. It's not going to happen. You're going to have some, and they're going to stick to local, and they're going to have another vehicle they use for their big trips. And then there's collector cars. And then there's what do you do with apartment complexes? The whole thing's laughable. Laughable. One of those moments, and I'm just, I'm just sitting here, I'm just, Boomer, are, we, are you going to go to a break now, or what are we going to do? I, I, <laughs> I am just, ready. <laughs> <laughs> take, me to, take me to a break, brother. We'll do a break right now. We'll come right back, spend a few more minutes on state of disunion, and then hear what our friend Stephanie Smith has to say. She's the new president of the Alabama Policy Institute. How cool is that? All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. A couple more stories here in my stack of stuff uh, before we get to the uh, call with Stephanie Smith right at the top of the hour. Uh, I'm looking at, um, oh, let's see which one I want to go first here. Let's th take this one. Um, no, this one. Uh, Red State, redstate.com has a piece uh, dated last night that, that talks about the fact that, you know, I mentioned the thing about oil and gas, and it drew a huge reaction from the, uh, from the Republican side of the aisle. It, it just, just like, wow. Another one, by the way, that I don't have in my stack, but I'll mention to you, is there was a – in fact, it's on the screen right now. Um, there was one place where President Biden almost like, like, like cluelessly said, and we need to do something about fentanyl. And when he did, there were people shouting, border, border. I mean, it was unreal. It's like oh, – Mr. President, you do realize the fentanyl's coming from the southern border that you won't fix. It just, it just, it just had this, 
And he, and he almost appeared to be caught off guard, like he, he didn't know why people were shouting at him. He thought he was saying a good thing, and they didn't like Well, because you're so out of touch, you don't realize, sir, that what's happening is because of your policies. Well, the other one was when he tried to say, literally tried to say, that, that Joe Biden is the guy trying to save Social Security and Medicare, and that Republicans are trying to cut those programs. Well, Kevin McCarthy has already announced that those things are off the table, that there's nothing standing in the way of, of doing other goodness, you know, in terms of cutting government spending, in his opinion, except Medicare, Medicare and Social Security. And he knows it's a third rail of politics. Good luck trying to do something about it. But Biden stood there and said, quote, House Republicans are threatened to cut Social Security and Medicare, putting the dignity of millions of Americans who rely on those programs at risk. I won't stand for that. We ought to strengthen these programs, not gut them. And when he, when, he, when he said this, the room erupted. And you could tell he was caught off guard. I think that may have been the first big one uh, in terms of his, you know, the, the reactions to his, his speech. That it just, it just seemed to derail him for a second there. Like he, he looked across the room. And you can tell he's probably thinking, I spent 40 years in this chamber. I don't remember anybody ever yelling at a president before. <laughs> well, well, sir, it may be a whole new day. Because they were, they were having none of it. And he went on to say, like, like by the way, he got, he got multiple Pinocchios on this. Um, and and even, even Twitter, like, had to flag it. So Twitter, not like Twitter people. I'm talking about Twitter itself. Twitter flagged Biden's tweet about this issue, pointing out what McCarthy had said, that it was off the table. So I got to say, Red State points out, when Twitter is the one calling you out, your lie is pretty bad. Um, he's not only lying about Republicans, he's also doing it while he's making moves that could hurt Medicare seniors with his own policies that are raising rates and cutting spending. So anyway, there's that. But then National Review had one of the more comprehensive pieces. You can tell that was a thicker one. Um, and they talked about the fact that he, like he dodged the immigration crisis, just literally passed the buck, didn't even really deal with it. He skipped right on past it, made no mention of all the significant learning losses that our school kids have had during the COVID shutdowns that, you know, hung around during his watch. Um, he would say things like, you know, first of all, his, his, his mantra throughout the entire piece was, um, it's time to finish the job. It's time to finish the job. And he would say this, he said, to my Republican friends, if we could work together in the last Congress, there's no reason we can't work together in the new Congress. But what he's really saying was not, Let's find places where we agree. What he was really saying was, get behind my policies. Jump on board here. And then he went all in on abortion. On abortion, he didn't just call for, like, moderation or finding compromise. No. He got angry. And he said, if you try in this body to codify an anti-abortion position for the United States, I'll veto it. Basically, what he's saying is, we're killing babies on my watch. Then he went straight into raising taxes on the wealthy. And the one that I've not heard many people talk about, he totally, totally dissed on police, totally dissed on our first responders in blue, totally. Men and women who serve in the police forces around the nation had to have heard his speech last night where he tried to recoup it at some point going, I mean, there are some good ones out there. No, no, no. Not after you tried to say how history shows us that police brutality is a thing that we must take issue with like we don't already, that's not the norm. 
All right, we got more. We're going to come back here in a minute with Stephanie Smith, president of the Alabama Policy Institute, and see what she has to say about last night's state of disunion. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side you're listening live to right side radio with bill williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio solid conservative and just plain right Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like that dude just said, we are solid conservative and just plain right. Well, I'm I'm still in number one of the Triple Dipper. I'm calling it the State of Disunion. And, uh, you know, I already had one text from Brian from Huntsville. Is it disunion or debt union? No, it's disunion. It's like 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 we're not unioned, unionized. Um but uh, I'm going to bring on a friend right now, Stephanie Smith, one of our frequent flyers here on the show. Stephanie has been on multiple times, even guest hosted for me, with a long history of working in and out of uh, state politics and legislative affairs and governmental affairs for big corporations and governmental entities. She is now still still fresh, still so brand spanking new, the president of the Alabama Policy Institute. Stephanie Smith, how you doing? I'm doing great, Phil. Well, good, good, good. Um, I like the state of disunion. I think that that is that is a little bit more accurate than the state of the union. I totally agree. I know it's more accurate than his state of the union. That's for sure. Um, I tweeted yesterday before he said anything. The state of the union is inflated. I saw that actually. I think I hit <laughs> like on that one. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, I, so you? I think that's the best descriptor. You, you you watched most of it. I know we we were talking briefly off the air. So you 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 did get to see at least elements of the evening, correct? Yes, and it was interesting because there was more. I don't know if the House Republicans felt empowered or, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what their temperature was, but there was a lot more back and forth. Yes. Um, than I anticipated. It sounded more like the House of Commons in London. I mean, it's it, it just it's just all the harumphs and the boos and the yays. I mean, it, 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 it yeah, was, and I know that turns some people off, but I guess maybe I'm just, you know, a political junkie. I love that stuff. That stuff. I mean, it, it's like pure entertainment for me. For me, I thought what was funny too was I, I, you know, I, I, he looked like he was taken aback by it a few times. Like he couldn't believe that was happening. I thought he's probably thinking, I spent 40 years in this chamber. This is not the way it's supposed to go. <laughs> but, <laughs> this is not how he dreamt of it. No. Hey, I got to ask you before we get into substance, though. Did you see the weird kiss between First Lady Jill Biden and uh, first husband? Uh, what's his I name? Did. I mean, that I did, did that just strike you as weird? It was very strange. It was one of those things that 
in other circumstances, I would think, um, you know, husbands and wives would, would want an explanation uh, <laughs> there as far as exactly exactly why the level of familiar, familiarity was there, especially in a public place, if, if, even if the familiarity uh, was there in a private place. But yeah, that was bizarre. And it and the interesting thing about it to me is, you know, I love to watch you know, people's dynamics. Neither one of them seemed very surprised by it. Meaning, no, no. if somebody had just walked in and kissed me on the lips that, you know, was the spouse of a coworker, that, you know, there'd be just kind of the visceral recoil, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, or like, uh, oh, like, oh, what's happening here? Like, wow. And there was none of that. No. It, 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 it looked very natural, I will say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was can, a strange moment. You can imagine the accidental where you're each trying to kiss a cheek and you missed in the middle. But right, you know what? Right. That didn't you look like a miss in the, the wrong middle. Way or, yeah. It didn't, and it also looked like they were both good with it. Well, <laughs> so, well, that was really strange. All right, now that we've done the that was uh, a strange opener. Now that we've done the National Enquirer version of reviewing the State of the <laughs> Union, um, let's let's talk about the uh, the more the substantive. So so what? Any, any takeaways? I mean, like I. I couldn't help but think that number one, he was caught off guard by the fact that, like you said, that there was there was a lot of harumphing in the audience. Um, but right. then uh, he had a moment there where he seemed like he was betraying his own green energy policies by saying we're going to need oil and gas for a while longer. That was an odd mm-hmm. moment. What else did you see? Anything stand out to you? Yeah, the other things that I, I mean, you, you know, you kind of expect the the rose-colored glasses, right? I mean, you're you're the president, you're standing in front of the American people. Very rarely do they walk into that chamber and tell the absolute truth of you know the the situation. I mean, we call it the State of the Union, but really it's it's what they want the State of the Union to be, not what's the actual State of the Union. Yeah. But I think this was an even rosier um, rendition of the State of the Union than normal, which that, that's interesting to me for it, it twofold. One is that I think that that's an indicator that he's feeling vulnerable from within his own party. Mm. And then secondarily, I think um, that there's a chance that, and, and I think that plays into what you were just talking about, about him being surprised that anybody disagreed with him. I think he's surrounded by people who are telling him things that may or may not be accurate, and he's he's not in the meat um, of of the policy issues on a day to day basis. And so, my sense is that he was surprised anybody disagreed, you know, with his talking points because why would they? They're they're correct. I don't think that it was one of those moments of an elected official walking in knowing that they're kind of you know. Um, edging along the edges of truth. I think he really believed what he said was true, and he was surprised anybody did. Isn't that something? And, uh, and there was one other moment, too, where I felt like he was totally clueless when he talked about fentanyl. I don't know if you caught that part right. or not, if you saw that one, but he, yeah. he literally yeah. began to talk about fentanyl and said, we've got to do something. We need to go ahead and take some action. And I thought, and, and, yeah. you, and, you, and you saw people begin to yell, I mean, at the like border, a- you know? Yeah. That, that sounded like a Republican talking point. I mean, we've been hearing for weeks um, since the, since the new Congress was seated. That's been a lot of the Republican talking point. But um, I kept been, thinking, does know, he even realize border, his own policies are at the border? Yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you there. Go ahead. No, no, that's OK. I, I think we're just vehemently agreeing with each other. <laughs> but the um, yeah, but I think it's one of those. Uh, yeah, maybe he doesn't understand or make the connection between Sentinel and the border, but. 
that seems pretty elementary. Yes. Um, and so I'm not sure why that was surprising to him. Maybe, you know, his, his little, you know, photo op down at the border in front of the wall he said he never believed in after he said he believed in it, after he said he didn't believe in it. You know, he thought, well, this seems good to me, you know. I, I really don't know. The, on the border issue specifically, I think that there's a real disconnect there. Yeah. I think it's intentional, not specifically by him, but I think that's an intentional disconnect um, between, you know, Democrats and, and the American people. Because the border, we shouldn't even be using the term border because there really is no demarcation zone. No. I mean, there are portions of it that have some level of security, but we basically have no border to the south. You have a, you have a, a, a notional place on the ground where on one side you don't get Social Security benefits and on the other side you do. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> That's uh, right. Well, that was the other kind of big booing moment when he talked about – um, some of the what I would term entitlements and, and the fact that Republicans were trying to do away yes. with them um, when Republican House members had preemptively said what was on and what was off of the table and taken those off the table of any budget negotiations, even though you know he's added five trillion dollars to the deficit, they're not even trying to go after that. And, and and for him to falsely accuse them of that when that discussion had just happened with the speaker, that seemed disingenuous, for sure. Well, it does. And then there was another part, too, that really got me. Um, you know, he, he brought on the, uh, the parents of the young man who was uh, killed by, you know, police action in Memphis. Um, mm-hmm. And he had them sitting there, and, and they were recognized. And, and, I, and I, I got no problem with that, because what happened in Memphis was wrong. But, um, but, then, but then he went down the road, and, and I, even, I even tweeted out, don't do it. Don't go there, uh-huh. and he did. Uh-huh. He 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 went straight into police are bad, and we've got to start getting some corrective action on the men and women who who you know wear blue. And and I, and he he tried wow. to sort of yeah. recapture it at some point by saying, I mean, they're not all bad, but but basically what he did was he dissed on them for a while, and then he tried to say, yeah, but not all of them. It was, uh-huh. By then it was too late. At that point, the State of the Union address by the President of the United States has just targeted the men and women who protect our streets. I just, I thought it was classless, classless. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those, like, I'm not going to bring up the fact that blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, that, that, that's just kind of a hollow tactic and it's elementary and you can see through it. Um, you're trying to back up from it afterwards after you've landed the blow really is you know, not helpful at all. Yeah. Um, I thought that the other thing, that really is what most of Americans are, you know, care about on a daily basis are gas prices and yeah. inflation. Yeah. And he flat lied he just, about both of those. Yeah, just 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 blew that one completely, like they don't exist. Um, right, and you know that you know that it's a lie when um, MSN fact fact checkers <laughs> call it out. Um, <laughs> so there there are, there are several fact checks that MSN has online, but the number one thing says Biden says he has lowered infl- inflation, and then fact check says has come down in recent months, but is higher than when he came into office by most commonly cited metrics. So <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> well, um, I think he also got several Pinocchios from the Washington Post or whoever it is that does that. But um, um, the, the last one here, about a minute and a half to go, that really struck me was, the, the balloon, the China balloon, and, and there was no right. mention. I mean, he could have he could have tried to grab that narrative if he wanted to. He could have said, 
China had the audacity to float a balloon carrying surveillance equipment across our nation. You may not agree with when right. I took it down, but I took it down. He didn't do it. All he, he just kind of, you know, no China bad. And I've, I've stood up to them as <laughs> evidenced by last week's actions. That's all he said. And then he went right on by, never mentioned the balloon. Right. And I, I just thought, man, you could have sent a message tonight to China. You could have, you could have tried to grab the narrative from, you know, a, a debacle of a week in the press Mm-hmm. And he just didn't. It's like just feckless. Yeah, well, and that's one of those that that's so blatant. You kind of, you know, put my tinfoil hat on a little bit. You kind of wonder, okay, um, <laughs> how can that be so blatantly weak after a week of fighting that weakness? It, it, you're just like, at what point do we just accept the fact that was intentional? Yeah. Right. So at what point do we just say, okay, you're actually not going to ever push back against China to any degree? So why don't you just not even mention it at all? Some some you know some staffer or speechwriter is like, well, after last week, we have to say something, but yeah. we don't want to say anything substantive. So what do we say? And that's the sentence that they can't report. Well, I guess uh, I'm going to run an extra minute long here just to get your perspective on Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She had the uh, the rebuttal, and um, your thoughts? I thought she was excellent. I thought her tone was dead on. She was authoritative, but not shrill. She knew her issues. She, um, you know, she framed the issue very well. Um, you know, sometimes the Republican rebuttal can be really, really long and annoying. Sometimes it can be over, you know, overhanded, meaning, you know, they over, you know, overplay their hand and call names and, you know, get in attack dog mode. Yeah. I think her tone and the way that she hit it down the middle, which was authoritative and this is what we believe was excellent. And, you know, I felt a little bit like, Shining, you know, shining city on the hill ah. um, in a couple of those moments, especially when she talked about traveling with the president to see the troops on Christmas. That, that was, was a really powerful that moment. That was a powerful moment. You're right. Well, Stephanie Smith. So it, it felt like, you know, morning, morning in America instead of, instead of dusk, which <laughs> was very refreshing. Yeah, I'm tired of daylight savings times in America. Let's just go ahead and get our sunshine <laughs> back. Um, Absolutely. Stephanie Smith, president of Alabama Policy Institute. As always, appreciate your perspective. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. All right. We'll see you. All right. Boomer, take us to a break. I ran a little long, but we'll come right back and put a put a lid on this one. Uh, if you want to call or text in, we'll take it for the next couple of minutes, and then I'll switch gears for a while and talk about why that darn balloon matters. That's the title of the number two in the Triple Dipper, why that darn balloon matters. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Is Wolverine Dan, where's Wolverine Dan been all this time? Wolverine Dan, how are you doing? Oh, you know what? When you're retired, 
And I got mama's got honeydews up to yin yang, and my kids <laughs> want some. Everybody wants something. They're pulling me at all four corners here. Ain't nothing left, my God. <laughs> hey, hey, a couple of things. First off, I wanted you to know I got really lucky the other day. Yeah. I was at the store, and, and, and of course, I don't use that credit card. I like the good old hard cash, cash. that nobody else ever uses anymore. Yeah, the cash. Anyway, check this out. So to get a change, and I got a $10 bill, and on the back of that Jefferson, they had the, uh, I think it's a, the Treasures Building. On either side of that, somebody stamped, Biden cheated. <laughs> they stamped it on the bill? And I keep that in my wallet. I keep it in a wallet, and I show everybody, and some love it, and some really get pissed off. <laughs> now, with that said, I didn't see the thing of Jill Biden making out with uh, Kamala's old man. But you know what runs in the family? Did you happen to notice when go stumbling, bumbling Joe come into the, to the you know room? On the women, he hugs them, and he gets really close, and you can see him sniffing his freaking hair, these ladies. It's, 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 a, it's a weird thing, man. Like, like you've got multiple videos of him sniffing hair. It's like a thing. I know. He's I, I, a nut job. Anyway, check this out. And then, you know, and then he's talking about the, to the Republicans, yeah, you know, they're entitlements. They're going to get rid of Social Security. Con. And I'm going, you got to be kidding. And then thank God for those Republicans to stand it up. And you can slip in every scream and you can see the reading their lips saying, you liar. And you know what? I'm glad they did that because, you know what, that shows you what kind of leader we got here that does that in front of the American public. A bunch of million people watch that show or that TV when they did the State of the Union. Now, you know, he says the other thing is, hey, man, hey, man, let me finish the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you've done the job and I'm finished. That's it's, it's, All right? Unreal. And that was his that was his line throughout the whole thing. It's time to yeah. we gotta finish what we started. We gotta hey man, we gotta so finish what we started. I, and I kept I kept yelling at the TV, hey Joe, you've already finished it, man. We're done. Yeah, you we're, know, flip us over, okay? I'm 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 burned up on this side. You know, I I said I wanted over easy, not over really hard. So, so let me ask you this: There, there, Wolverine Dan. So, uh, is the is the phrase? Some were speculating that the phrase he kept using, "finish what we started," was his way of subtly implying that he's about to announce his uh, his run for the second term. What do you think? Look, it. He cannot speak properly. He doesn't think straight. If any, if you can't, I look it. I, and I'm 64 years old, and I'm not that, you know, I mean, I, I know I'm starting to go downhill, okay? And this guy's 80, and you see the way he walks? You know, his hands his hands are like, they're straight out the fingers, and it's like a tin soldier walking. I'm afraid the guy's going to fall for kind of a lot like he's walking on a banana peel. The guy, he ain't there, man. And you know what? What's happening is, is the Democrats are going, oh, what did we do? What did we do? Because they can't fall back on the vice president. Because all she does is cackle and doesn't even show up at the border, does nothing with the, in the in illegal aliens. Yeah, the fentanyl. There's your problem. And it was right. People are screaming. Well, how about the border? Do something with the border. And, he, and he's been getting away with this for a long time. I'm speaking to the president, okay? And I'm telling you what, don't you wish you had the previous president right now oh. after what you've seen, what he's doing? Oh, yeah. Wolverine, Dan, we have missed you, brother. We got to run to a break here in about 10 seconds, but uh, you, you have a good one. And don't right. be so long for your call back. All right, brother. Talk uh, to you later. We'll see you. That was, there it was. <laughs> and the music started playing just like that? Yep. Was I right or right? <laughs> 
All right, man, we got a great audience. All right, folks, listen, stay tuned. We're going to be changing gears, going into why that Dern balloon matters. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama, great state of Alabama. I'm talking about way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, back from Tuscaloosa over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi even thrown in just for good measure. All right. Hey, listen, um, I'm moving to the next part of the Triple Dipper, and then you're going to want to stay tuned because top of the hour, it is time for the Grand Council with our brethren uh, Jeff Poor and Dale Jackson as we get on here and opine and ask each other questions and just see how we do. But for right now, let me spend a few minutes with this balloon thing, all right? And I ain't going down a road like to just talk about where it was and when they shot it down and have they fished it out of the water yet and all that. I want to talk about why it matters. Because I have seen some chatter online where the apologists are trying to come out now and go, well, it was just a balloon. I mean, what's the big deal? It was a balloon. It was just a weather balloon. It wasn't, it wasn't a military. Th- and by the way, I actually heard a general say, we deemed it not to be a threat to the American public in a military sense. That's crap, sir. That is crap. That is like mounds of crap. That's a lot of crap. Crap, 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 crap. That's just crap. Um, because it was. Because military is not always explosive. Military is not always direct action. Military can mean a threat to personal security. Military can mean a degrading of our resources. Military. Can, so, yes, sir, it was, and you know it. So to, quit trying to. He was, it was directed by somebody, I'm sure, to give the apologist statement. Well, so when you, when you look at things on the national scale, all right, or international scale, let me remind you again of an acronym that they use very often called DIME, D-I-M-E. It stands for, and these are the, these are the, these are the aspects of projection of, of power, all right? Diplomacy, information or intelligence, depending on who you talk to, military and economic. And I will tell you right now that this balloon impacted three of the four. So diplomacy, information or intelligence, and military We've seen an impact by this balloon. It matters. It does matter. For instance, in the diplomatic sense, here's an article from CNBC. Phil, did you go to CNBC? Yes. Yes, I did. CNBC has an article dated uh, two days ago. Downed spy balloon leads to a rise in diplomatic tensions between the U.S. and China. You think? I mean, it, it, it almost seems like it goes without saying, but we should say it nonetheless. 
The Chinese spy balloon might be down, says the beginning of this article, but the diplomatic temperature continued to rise Sunday as officials in Beijing blasted the U.S. decision to shoot it out of the sky. Now, I will point out that there's an effort by uh, the Biden administration, and, 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 and honestly, I'll say this, I don't fault this. There should always be an effort by every administration to establish good relations, whether it be trade, uh, military, detente, whatever the case may be, you, you, you want to have the ability to have direct communication with the other nation, uh, no matter who they are. And, I, and granted, there's going to be nations that we can't reach. You know, North Korea is notoriously it, it, impossible to communicate to. But you can. I mean, you know you can. Uh, don't you recognize back when Trump was in uh, North Korea, or actually South Korea, and he stepped across the line into North Korea? Who met him there? Kim Jong-un. So it's not like we don't have the ability to communicate to them. We can And you want those open lines of communication. That's how you avoid bad things happening. Well, right now, they're describing this, the Chinese are, as a clear overreaction. And they are reserving the right, they say, to use necessary means to respond to other incidents. Well, is this rhetoric? Yes, it is. Rhetoric, though, creates tension. Tension creates difficulties in diplomatic relations. And as we're looking at things right now, like the advances into the South China Sea that China has been, you know, inculcating, that we've we got a situation now where things are what one um, uh, diplomacy watcher called an ominous situation. And he says the Chinese are going to bluster, but I don't think China's going to try to respond in any way. Okay, true. But then Anthony Blinken, our own Secretary of State, said Friday he told a Chinese diplomat in a phone call that sending that balloon was an irresponsible act that was detrimental to substantive discussions that we were prepared to have and that he would have had the first visit by a U.S. Secretary of State to China since 2018. So four years, five years. And rescheduling the trip now is problematic because then you look weak on the world stage. So China's got to, you know, sort of get told before we can go over there. Otherwise, it looks like we're trying to kowtow to them, and they can't do it to us. So now everybody's mad and in their corners. One particular uh, think tank guy, a guy named Craig Singleton, who's a senior fellow on Chinese relations, um, he says expectations were generally low that Blinken's trip would have resulted in diplomatic deliverables. And at this point, a meaningful reset between the two superpowers appears all but off the table. So, yes, the balloon matters on the big D in the dime, diplomacy. Here's another one, though, that talks about that from thediplomat.com. This is a, basically a, a trade journal that talks about you know, diplomacy and international relations. It says, one thing is clear. The incursion of the Chinese balloon tested the bounds of international law. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. It was not just a, a diplomatic affront. It was not just one of those things where it happened and now tensions are there. It actually was a violation of international law, or at the very least, it was a testing of international law. The article I've got here says, dated February 6th, from thediplomat.com, it says the incident has added another layer of complexity to the already strained relationship between the U.S. and China. And it goes on to say, international law is clear with respect to the use of these balloons over other countries' airspace. Every country has a complete sovereignty and control over its waters, extending 12 nautical miles out. That's international law. 12 nautical miles or 22 kilometers from your land base. Which, by the way, is why China keeps building man-made islands in the South China Sea, because once they've got a man-made island, they claim that pushes their territorial waters out. Every country, it also says, likewise, has a complete and exclusive sovereignty over the airspace above its territory under international conventions. 
This means that each country controls all access to its airspace. All right. Now, here's the thing. Here's the gray area. And this is where China may have been testing its limits. China is acting under the auspices that, generally speaking, the airspace extends upwards to about 45,000 feet, which is about the level of typical commercial and military aircraft. Although there have been some that can go up to 60,000 feet, and that's where the balloon was. It was 15,000 higher, feet higher than the average traversing of aircraft. China is of the opinion that apparently this is okay. We're of the opinion that it is not. International law, it says, does not extend to the distance at which satellites operate. It's just, I mean, space is not controlled by anybody. It says there's international legal frameworks in place that allow for permission to be sought to enter a country's airspace, the 1944 Chicago Convention on Civil Aviation. All of these things basically say is this. The freaking balloon matters. It just does. It was a violation of international law. At the very least, it was a testing of international law. It's a pressing in of the diplomatic opportunity for good relations that, and by the way, we don't have to have great relations, but you don't want this. China pushed the button. We dragged our feet. We finally did something. Now China reacts, and both sides are sitting up in their opposite corners with their arms crossed, and that's not good on the world stage. Now, what about another one of the pieces of dime? Diplomacy, information or intelligence, military, economic, the M, military. Where are we at on this? Got a very cool story here from justthenews.com. Says the China spy balloon episode is a Sputnik learning moment for America and a black eye for the Pentagon. Militarily, this was like an arms race moment. And back in when, when Sputnik was first launched, I mean, it 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 it, it, gravi- it, it grabbed the attention of the American public. We're like, well, what just happened? The Russians, the 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 Reds, they put something in the atmosphere. The very first thing into space was from Russia. Yes, it was. The Soviet Union was the very first into space with Sputnik. And it, 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 it caused the arms race. You know, it caused the space race. It caused, it caused international outroar. It caused people to be looking up in the sky wondering what could come next. So Air Force General Glenn Van Herc, the commander of NORAD, bluntly acknowledged, it says, this past Monday, that NORAD, the vaunted command that's designed to protect the United States, failed to detect Chinese spy balloons that incurred in, in U.S. airspace. In classic Pentagon speak, it says, he called it a domain awareness gap that needs to be closed. A domain awareness gap. Well, what he just did, though, was he announced, not that we saw it and didn't know what to think of it, he announced we didn't see it. So militarily, this freaking balloon matters. Why? Because now what we have is an admission that we didn't know it was there. And it wasn't until somebody pointed it out to us that we went, oh, crap, what is that? And there it was, 200 feet around, toting some big payload, floating its way across our missile silos at 60,000 feet in our airspace. And we didn't know it was there because we had a military domain awareness gap. Well, we've got one um, representative from Iowa. uh, Her name is Marionette Marionette Miller-Meeks. says, I think once again... I think they, Biden administration, I think they once again showed that we're weak. And when we're weak, that generates aggression overseas, especially with the Chinese Communist Party and Russia. So domain awareness gap. Now who else is thinking, what else can we do that they don't know we can do? What else can we put across there without having to spend a billion dollars on missiles? 
can North Korea now float one of its nukes on a balloon? Can they? So if you move high and slow on a big white balloon, huh, maybe a smaller balloon. We don't have to have a 200-foot line. But what about, what about something half that size, a fourth that size? What can we tote with that? Can we steer it? It's like drone technology. We can do that. Well, listen, this has showed a military capability gap, and that ain't good. All right, listen, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. I got a little bit more on it. Boomer, let's go ahead and take the break right now. We'll do that a tad early, about a minute early, and we'll come right back. I got to tell you, we already know that we tried to reach the Chinese by phone. I'll tell you what happened when the phone rang on their end. Mm, ain't good. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, I'm, I'm doing this section right now I call Why That Dern Balloon Matters. And I, I, got, I got several new textures, by the way. The text lines are open, 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. Uh, brand new on the text string, Dan the Man from Huntsville. Dan the Man, we are glad that you are a part of the show. Um, and he, uh, he also... He has asked a question regarding, I guess, I guess throwing back to the, uh, the, uh, um, the State of the Union, plus the fact that we're talking about this, this whole situation with the, the, the balloon. He says, why don't the R's, meaning the Republicans, bring articles of impeachment for him and his borders are? Well, they are. Um, uh, they actually have articles of impeachment that have been brought up now by um, uh, Republicans on Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, whether they'll do it on Biden, I don't know yet. But the investigations are beginning. Uh, Frank from Madison says, so the balloon went over Shermia in the Aleutian Islands, the primary early warning site, and we didn't see it. That's what we're told. I'm looking right here. Um, this is, uh, who was the name? What was the name of the general who said this? Hang on one second. Let me find my place, and I'll tell you what his name was, because he flat out said we didn't see it. General Pat Ryder, uh, he says, um, yeah, basically that um, it floated past our domain awareness gap is, is now acknowledged. He says, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was General Glenn Van Herc, commander of U.S. NORTHCOM. NORTHCOM commander says, it's my responsibility to detect threats to North America, and I will tell you we did not detect those threats. And that's a domain awareness gap we have to figure out. Um, that's not good. Uh, what else we got there? Glenn from Bluntsville just texted in. He says, did the Pentagon know about the balloon and they're lying to us? I don't know. I'm telling you what they're telling me, um, which doesn't always mean anything, but there it is. Um, Bob from Decatur, uh, with regards to the awareness gap, says Brandon has a gap between his ears. <laughs> okay. Um, and he also says, and, and it, it's right, we, we have, he's the one that texts about flying up there in a cesta and throwing a hammer at it. <laughs> Here, hold my beer, watch this. Watch um, and then uh, we also got a brand new texter on the line, Jerry from Athens. Jerry, we're glad you're on the line. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you being in the audience. Um, diplomatic information or intelligence military and economic. On the information side, in the big eye of dime, uh, yeah, we, I think we've got a failure there too. I, in my opinion, part of what happened here was the Chinese were seen if they could get away with it, and that if we detected it, it gave them an indication of how we will respond. 
It gave them an indication of what the American public will call for. It gave them an indication of the rifts between uh, Congress and the White House. It gave them an indication of whether the Pentagon will be decisive uh, and whether they will advise the president accordingly. It gave them an indication of what our early warning systems are like. And so all said and done, this was an information coup, in my opinion, for the Chinese. They got to see firsthand what it means to have a dithering administration as opposed to a decisive administration. And so, yes, even though President Biden last night in his speech, nationalreview.com, points out that he said basically, oh, where's the spot here? He says, make no mistake, as we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country. And we did. Let's be clear. Winning the competition with China should unite all of us. We face serious challenges. And I'm looking at it going, that was not that decisive, sir. That was, that was, that did not, you did not win the narrative on this. You wouldn't talk about it for days. I mean, you, you, were, you were avoiding the questions as the press was trying to get you to answer. You said that you gave the order on Wednesday to shoot it down, but the military overrode your decision-making and said they would wait. Um, meanwhile, it continued to traverse its way across the United States. No, you, um, you weren't showing resolve, not in the eyes of the public. You have not captured that narrative. Here's the other thing, too. And this one relates to the D and the M, the diplomacy and the military. China literally refused to take a phone call. Chinese Defense Ministry, it says on Daily Wire, refused a secure call from the U.S. Secretary of Defense after the Chinese balloon was shot down off the coast of South Carolina. This is confirmed, by the way. This is not speculation or sources say. Here it is from General Pat Ryder. On Saturday, 4 February, immediately after taking action to down the PRC balloon, the DOD submitted the request for a secure call between Secretary Austin and PRC Minister of National Defense Wei Fengay. Unfortunately, the PRC has declined our request. Our commitment to open lines of communication will continue. They just basically said, don't call us, we'll call you. So China is, is, is they're off the table, man. They are, they are completely off the table. They're like, no. We don't want to talk to you. You broke our balloon. <laughs> okay. You flew it over our house. Yeah, but you broke our balloon. So we're not talking to you. Um, I, I, all said and done, folks, I'm just going to tell you, I got more articles here, but I'm belaboring the point. When you look at the acronym DIME, with the, 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 the ability to project power on the world stage, diplomacy, information intelligence, military, economic, at least three of those and I don't know yet, by the way, I don't know what yet Secretary Blinken was about to try and negotiate for trade. For all we know, there was an economic piece that, that fell apart, too. But all I'm saying is you can clearly see when you begin to analyze the news stories and the comments being made and the statements that are being put out and the actions that are or the inactions that are visible to us, you can, you can see just from open source analysis that on dime, that at least the D, the I, and the M have all been impacted by this freaking balloon. It was, it was not an accident. They admit that it was theirs. We now know there were multiple. I've got one report that I had in my hands yesterday that said that there are at least two others, one of which they think crashed off the coast of Hawaii and another one flying over Latin America. And it's a 200-foot around balloon carrying a large payload of something. Well, the next thing we've got to do is not lose sight of this. We cannot let the Biden administration 
go along to get along, and we never find out what happens, and they go stored at Area 51. You can't, can't do that. We need to know what that balloon was. What was the intent? Did it self-destruct when the missile hit the balloon? Because there was some indication that it might have been a self-destructing uh, mechanism that, that caused it to blow. Or, or, or was it just gathering weather data? Or was it doing something further? Was it signals intelligence? Was it capable of doing some type of EMP action? What, what was it for? We got to know this. We deserve to know this. Because you know why? Because that darn balloon matters. That's why. All right, folks, we're coming back for the Grand Council. Jeff Poor, Dale Jackson, little old me. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right you're listening live to right side radio with phil williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio solid conservative and just plain right Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is that time of the week. It is Wednesday, and uh, that means we go to the Grand Council. Last week we had to move it because I had a scheduling conflict, but my brethren were good enough to join me uh, on Friday. This week we're back on schedule, Wednesday afternoon, 4 o'clock, Grand Council. Let me go ahead and call the roll. Boomer, do I have a, uh, a Jeff Poor on the line as uh, FM Talk 106.5 and the executive editor for 1819 News, Jeffro Poor? Are you here? I am present. You are present. You're on the road right now, it sounds like. Yeah, I, uh, I've been in Birmingham all week, and uh, it was tough loose yesterday, but Birmingham today and head back to Harrow now. Well, appreciate you making time for us while you are maneuvering. And then, uh, Boomer, do I have the next guy, the other guy, the Dale Jackson from uh, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN, also writing for Yellowhammer News. Dale Jackson, are you here? Oh, oh my gosh, snuck in under the wire, dude. All right, we're glad. So, Boomer, I pronounce a quorum. Hit it. Assemble the Grand Council. Ta-da! Right, fellas, you know the deal. We uh, ping each other with questions. We take turns asking. We don't always know the questions in advance, and we don't even know the answers in advance. And then we just see how we do. So, Jeff Poor, while you're driving on the road, you go first. What you got? Uh, theoretical here. Uh, five years from now, God forbid Biden wins re-election. What does the Biden State of the Union look like in 20, uh, I guess it would be, what, 2028? 
So, so what would the Biden administration's State of the Union look like in what 2020? Would the Biden, what would the Biden State of the Union, based on our office performance, what would it look like if he was re-elected? How, how are we going—how is this country going to be able to sit through that guy five years older from now? I don't know that we can sit through him five years older than now. I mean, I, I, I look at it, and, and, and I, I think they would have to prop him up. They'd have somebody standing on both sides, kind of like Moses holding his arms in the air, just to make sure that he can continue on. How many shots would he have to have to give him what he needs to keep moving? I, I don't know, man. I just last night though, he's like he had a Red Bull. He he hung in there. Um, but uh, Dale, what do you think? Um, it would be uh, artificial intelligence that we could just go ahead <laughs> and, and have it done that way, or go back to where they just write the the damn thing and hand it off to somebody. You know that that would be that we they've done that in the past, right? That's how it used to be. Yes, just hand in the report. Here's mm-hmm. my report. You know, I, I I get tired of the Kabuki Theater. I don't think I'd mind that, to be honest with you. Um, your own question, Jeff. What do you think? Well, and that was sort of a point. I just watched you last night. How much of a struggle it was. This guy. I mean, I I, I we got to really ask some tough questions. I know they won't, but we got some tough questions uh, when, when re-election time comes around. If this is the direction you're going to go, how how are you going to be able to tolerate America for this guy in five years, giving that same address? I, I I don't I don't know if they can I don't I don't know if there's that much patience but um but I you know I, I look at it too and it was obvious too that he was caught off guard several times by the amount of reaction he was getting in the audience uh, uh, I, I it was it was funny I was probably thinking I've I've been in this chamber for forty years and this has never happened why are they yelling at me so it was anyway uh, all right Dale Jackson next question what do you got. I want to keep it in North Alabama just because another shoe has dropped on on Devin Keith, the Huntsville City Councilman. You're an attorney. Yeah. You got a client. He Over the past, I don't know, four days, they've dropped about 35 shoplifting charges on him at three different Whoa. Uh, Walmarts, including Walmarts that are not in his district. I mean, think about this. A city councilman stealing from someone else's district instead of his own? God, just keep that stuff in the district. Come on. Well, he didn't want to hurt the sales tax revenue in his own district. As well. <laughs> well, he, was, he was doing it in his district and other districts. Oh. Uh, let me ask something. Is this guy... Is there any way you could defend it? You're a lawyer. You're supposed to defend people. Even if you know they're guilty, you're supposed to help them out. Could you defend this guy? Well, you're supposed to always provide a zealous defense on behalf right. of your client's interests. And the question is not whether or not, uh, you know, in a criminal law, which I don't practice criminal law, but the, but the question is not necessarily always whether or not he's guilty. It's whether or not they can prove it. You have to make the prosecution do its job. And uh, and that's what the defense usually is. But, um, but you know, I... I <laughs> 35? Really? I mean, at this point, you're, you're down to, dude, you better negotiate because they've got surveillance cameras of you like pilfering fishing lures and putting stuff in your pockets all over the place. I mean, and, and I'll remind you what I know is more than what's in the media right now. It's other stores too. <laughs> so there's more coming. So oh my gosh. Uh, Jeff, chime in. What are you thinking? Why, why all of a sudden, like, why, if he's done this so many times, yeah. Why did they wait till the thirty fifth time to? Do, I mean, I, that would be my devil's advocate defense. Like, oh, I, I oh. can answer that. I can answer that question for you. The uh, apparently Walmart has like an AI that once they catch somebody stealing, they run somebody through it, and, and it finds when else they've shopped. What? Yeah, uh, through receipts and apparently some facial recognition stuff, and, and they and they caught him. Okay, we just opened up a whole new realm of this conversation. <laughs> I don't think I want to walk into Walmart and have them tagging my cheekbones trying to figure out if I've been here before. 
That's just wrong. That's just creepy. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, 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 Walmart turned into screws on this guy. And this is weird, right? It is weird. It, it's it's beyond weird. And so the guy has a problem. If this is all real, I mean, innocent till proven guilty. But if this is all real, then then kleptomania just took on a new poster child. No, you guys, you guys are giving him too much credit. He is just a scumbag of the lowest order. I mean, he's just he's a pathological oh, liar. He was one of your show regulars, Oh, no, no. I would talk to him, but he lied all the time on my show, and we'd fight about it. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So what we're finding out now is it's not really AI. It's it's Dale's been following him around with his his, his camera phone. (laughs) Hey, I had a conversation conversation with my wife about this today on the radio, and I asked her. I said, hey, do you remember the first time we met him? And she's like, yeah. And I said, did I not turn to you as soon as he walked away? And I said, that guy's a scumbag. And she's like, yeah, you actually did. I was like, yep. All right. Oh God! All right, my turn. My question. Here we go. Um, listen, uh, the 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 Department of Corrections release. I had a DA in my uh, my studio yesterday that 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 gave his thoughts on where this is all going and, and and how difficult it is for DAs to prosecute and to watch people just walk out early. Um, and like it's basically it's not mandatory sentencing guidelines now. It's mandatory release guidelines. And and so. The, the, the article came out this morning, I guess, I guess, Jeff, I think it's all in 1819 News, that there's been no commentary whatsoever from the governor's office about a very embarrassing legislative act that she signed into law. And and yet we finally heard from Gina Mayola from the governor's office this morning, and they basically said, well, it's the governor's leadership that, is, that has brought this discussion to bear. I'm like, how did they even, how did they get down that road that it became the governor's leadership on releasing prisoners early, and that was a good response? Jeff, your thoughts. You want to hear happened? They got mad at our story yesterday, and it took until about 3 in the afternoon to decide to text our reporter, Will Blakely, and say, hey, we don't like this story. And it was like, well, what's wrong with him? And then Gina sends Will a, a clip from a news story buried in the eighth paragraph of, like, a Mike Kaysen story on AL.com is a comment from the governor's office about the mass release. So I, 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 I just, she needs to be saying something, right? Is this not weird? The, 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 the world of ADOC is crumbling, and KIV, she's not even fiddling. She's just nowhere to be found. Yeah. Yeah, because you because you you got a statement from Gina Mayola. You didn't get a statement from Governor Ivy, correct? Yeah, and I said, well, because when, when she she hit well up, so we don't like this. We want to respond. I said, well, give us some more questions to answer, and they didn't really give us much. They just told us, well, you, you, you don't know how tough it is. It would be much worse if not for Tay Ivy's leadership. I mean, just what what are you insulting the readers of eighteen ninety news with that stupid? response all right dale jackson your thoughts they need to make a, an ai governor too <laughs> we need we just need <laughs> where they can where they can just put in whatever they want it to say and she can come out and, and it will add its own like well my pa said that they let a prisoner out of jail he'll find a way into the world or whatever well, that, that may be what we have maybe gina maiola is the ai behind the governor we don't even know <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh alright fellas end of round one we'll uh, we'll take the break right now we'll come right back we'll head to round two of the Grand Council with uh, Jeff Poor from the Jeff Poor Show FM Talk 106.5 and uh, 1819 News Dale Jackson from up yonder in WVNN and also writing for Yellowhammer News and just little old me y'all stay tuned we'll be right back
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid, conservative, just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. All right, we are back to round two of the Grand Council with Jeff Poor from FM Talk 106.5 and 1819 News and Dale Jackson from WVNN up yonder in Huntsville and Yellowhammer News. Jeff Rowe, next question, what you got? Oh, sticking with the, the, the earlier mass release or whatever you want to call it, uh, Steve Marshall, very outspoken, the Attorney General. Tell me, guys, do do you guys uh, do, do you guys think that this is just nothing but a shameless political gesture by the Attorney General to set himself up for something bigger down the road? Uh, me personally, I do not see it as shameless. I thought it was pretty legit. I mean. His job is to defend the interests of the people of the state. And uh, when he realized that there was a bunch of victims and victims' families and interested parties who were not being notified. Now, I will say this. I've noticed a lot more activity out of his office of late. Um, uh, and, and so I can't help but wonder if he is posturing for you know future runs for something else. But that don't mean nothing. Uh, I think the, the truth is what he did was the right thing to do. Dale? I think he comes by it honestly. I also think he's running for office. Uh, his slogan should be grill him, chill him, and kill him uh, because that's exactly what he wants to do. Uh, so I'm all for it. I love what he's doing. Uh, I kind of disagree with you all and him on this whole mass release thing, but I, I think he comes by it honestly. Every conversation I've ever had with him on and off the air has been exactly the same, so I don't think I don't think what? he's doing the routine. Well, so wait, wait, wait. How do you disagree with us on this uh, thing about the mass releases? What do you say? Uh, I I'm willing to, to to roll the dice on it, and I think you guys want it stopped. Oh, I don't I don't necessarily want it per se stopped. I don't like it. I direct, it was legislative action, but I think it got implemented badly. And I look back. I now, agree with that. Then we're on the same page. Flawed. I think I it was flawed okay. the way they did it, and I don't know that it was necessary to be honest. Well, Jeff was yelling at me last week, so maybe I lost well, the plot. Well, I, I just I look at it and think, okay, legislature, you did your gig, but uh, buyer's remorse, I think, and uh, maybe you ought to correct it because it, it wasn't a good idea at the time, and it's not a good idea now. It's still legislated. They just did a bad job of implementing. Um, your own question, Jeff. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, well, first I think it needs to end immediately. I think it was done for the wrong reasons. But uh, I, I, there's a lot of people saying that out there, that Marshall is, is posturing for something, and that's all this is. It calls is just shameless pandering and political opportunism, which I, I just find such an egregious, scurrilous charge from people that think they're smart. I, I just I think he's doing this. He's, he's inconsistent. When they pass that law in 2021, you go back, and he wrote a scathing op-ed, about the legislature considering that bill. And I, I just I don't like when I hear that. I, I just think it's totally unfair for people to say. All right, good points. Uh, Dale, next question, what you got? Okay, I want to paint a little scenario for both of you. You're both up there giving a speech. Uh, you know, Phil Williams, that's some muckety-muck lawyer thing. Jeff Port, some nerd thing in D.C. <laughs> and, and you introduce... Uh, your lovely wife out in the crowd, and, and then you say, oh, and, and there's uh, my good friend so-and-so, and, and they look at each other and kiss each other on the lips right, oh in the, <laughs> right, right in front of you and everyone else. How does that make you feel? I'm leaving the podium, and I'm going to find the dude and, and ask him what he th – so that, that had to have been one of the most weird, awkward moments ever seen in the gallery at a, um, at a, at a, at a, a State of the Union. I mean, It's all we're ever going to remember from this. I know. I, I, I don't remember much about the speech. It's already starting to fade from memory. But, you know, I, I look at it and think, okay, was that an awkward moment where they missed the cheek? Or did they – and neither one of them seemed to like, – like, it was like the most natural thing in the world. Okay. I think there was some tongue. There's some lip kissing going on. <laughs> oh, my God. Jeff, what do you think, Jeff? 
I, I, I just think it's an awkward moment. I mean, that's all I thought. I was like, well, no, no, you didn't answer the question. What do you do? I, I, I just dismiss it as an awkward moment. <laughs> okay. No. I'm, I'm, I think we're having an awkward if, conversation. If, if that's the situation, if that's, I, I, I may say, what the hell happened there? But I'm not going to down from yeah. the podium and saying, I'm going to whoop some tail right now. That's what I'm do. That might be what you guys would do, but I'm a sane actor, okay? <laughs> Ah, uh, okay. Hey, last question. Uh, setting up my next segment, actually. Um, so, story on AL.com. Did you go to AL.com, Phil? Yes. Yes, I did. AL.com had a story um, just this morning that there is a vacancy on the uh, judicial bench down in Mobile and that there are calls now by members of the legislature, Senator Vivian Figures being one, to make sure we fill it with a black judge because that's the most important thing. Uh, your thoughts on this? You're down there. I'll go to you first, Jeff. What do you think? She's probably gonna. Ivy's probably gonna do that. Oh. She's done that in the past. I, I, I just that's, that's the way she does. Things. But I mean, in her defense, would the DOJ or somebody come in and threaten and investigate? And and with that, and you got this legal cost of having to defend it. I, I don't know, but I, I totally think that would be in the realm of behavior for Governor Ivy. To just go ahead and appoint a black judge. They, they tried real quick. They tried this. Uh, the county commission had, had a seat open, and Riley appointed uh, to the one, one Democrat seat by black Republican. And the DOJ um, beat, uh, beat, the, beat beat Riley in court, and the guy had to step down down in Mobile County. <laughs> Dale, your thoughts? The qualifications for judgeships have to start with skin color. No, find the best person for the job. If it doesn't have to be a lawyer, uh, I recommend Jeff Poor. If it does have to be a lawyer, <laughs> Phil Williams. Uh, I don't live in the district, but thank you very much. Um, although I, uh, I, I will visit occasionally. Um, you know, I look at it and think, like, like for instance, uh, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson on the uh, Supreme Court. She's a knowledgeable individual, a jurist. Uh, yes, she can certainly do the job. And she will always have an asterisk by her name because the president announced that the reason why she was chosen was first because of her skin color and not because of her acumen in the law. And I just I just see this whole idea of appointing for skin color as being absolutely the opposite of the law is blind. You know what I'm saying? So um, so there's that. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, I, you, know, you know what, though? And I, I'm not going to be surprised. Ivy's been about the glass ceiling before. She's She's done appointments. You know, she was so excited to have a the commander of the Alabama National Guard, who was the first female, never mind whether she was the most qualified individual to uh, lead our troops. But um, that's another story for another day. Uh, all right, fellas, appreciate you. As always, the Grand Council with uh, Jeff Poor from the Jeff Poor Show on FM Talk 106.5 in Mobile and the executive editor for 1819 News. And Dale Jackson, WVNN up in Huntsville and writing for Yellowhammer. You guys have an amazing night. Thanks much. Thank you, sir. All right. That was a good one, boom shakalaka. We, no, no, nobody bled. <laughs> My ears weren't bleeding at the end of the segment, so that's always a win. Um, but, uh, yeah, very interesting. Always good to hear their perspectives. All right, listen, we're going to come right back. I'm going into number three on the Triple Dipper. I'm going to get there. Reverse racism. Is that a thing? Can you call it reverse racism, or is it just racism? Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Hey, all you right-side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, uh, listen, before I go any further, I got to tell you, ZLA Solutions, I was even talking to them this morning. ZLA Solutions is doing an amazing job at connecting people to jobs. Now, first of all, ZLA Solutions can help you with all kinds of uh, different aspects of business and solutions. They can do issues related to logistics and warehousing, sorting and containment, quality control, all of that. They can do that stuff for you, but their, their bread and butter man is still staffing. They can, they can put people into your workforce that you need. It can be onesies and twosies with niche skills, or they can have you an entire shift of people depending upon what you need. I mean, they've got, they've got employer groups that they, they handle large mass groups of people for, and then they're, they're hiring, especially right now in Huntsville, for some special white-collar, high-tech, high-paying jobs at Redstone Arsenal. So if you are interested at all in finding a job, you personally can go to the website, ZLAUSA.com, and check out the job postings they have available right now. But at the same time, if you're an employer and you got to fill out the ranks of your workforce, they can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing, blue collar, white collar, no collar, don't matter. ZLA Solutions. They, they like to say at ZLA, they like to say, at ZLA, we don't make it, we make it better, which is what they do. Their goal is to help you make your business better. So check them out, their website, ZLAUSA.com. And once you talk to them, do me a favor, tell them you heard about it on the Right Side Radio. All right, listen, um, this next section, reverse racism. Is it really reverse racism or just racism by another name? I mean, when skin color or ethnic groups or religious discrimination, when those things are happening, are they are they... Are they only happening in one direction or do they happen in both directions? And when it happens, you know, when, when, when the minority position becomes the, the thing that is taken as opposed to the merit-based position, is that now reverse racism? Or are really all we just looking at is just plain old racism by another name? That's where we are. I would, ha- I would, posture, I would posit this, that it is racism, period. When you say that you have to have someone of a certain race, you are doing nothing much more than saying you won't have somebody of another race. That's all you're doing. And, and, and you know, one of, the, one of the most amazing things out there is when you see positions where it's supposed to be based upon merit or at the very least based upon electability, because merit and electability don't always go hand in hand, but merit or electability are a, a, a position that you know you're highly qualified for or that you were elected to, it cannot be because of your skin color. Otherwise, those two things just fell apart. If your skin color is the determining factor as to whether or not you are qualified, then it is not a merit-based hire or a merit-based position fill. If your skin color is the very first criteria that is examined then it does not matter whether the voters liked you or not because skin color was what mattered. And I don't care whether you're black, white, purple, doesn't matter to me. The reality is if skin color matters more than anything else, it's racist. I brought up a story a minute ago during the Grand Council, and I'll bring it up again now. 
right here in our very own state. AL.com has an article, and they don't even question it. They're like, wow, this, is, this appears to be a glowing article. This makes good sense. Um, headline, for Mobile, a push is on to get a black judge on the bench. Unconstable that we don't have at least one. Well, it points out there's, there's not been a black judge on the circuit or district court benches in Mobile County since 2008. It doesn't mean there haven't been one before. It means there hasn't been one now since 2008. And right now, the combined 15 circuit court and district judges in Mobile County are all white. Okay? Keep in mind, justice is supposed to be blind. Well, wouldn't that imply then that you have to have objectivity? Wouldn't that mean then that if you're hiring based on a non-objective process, that perhaps objectivity is already out the door? Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, I said a moment ago in the last segment, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson is a highly intelligent, highly qualified individual who earned the right to be considered for the Supreme Court, but she will always have the asterisk by her name that the President of the United States, the person who nominates her for the Supreme Court, said that his very first criteria was, I will find and appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. Doesn't matter whether she's qualified. What mattered first was her skin color and her gender. And, and she should be insulted by that because she could beat out any number of white men, but everyone will always know that no white men were even allowed to apply. It's reverse racism, is it? Or just racism in general? Well, now we're looking at Mobile. And it says in this article from AL.com, it's a reality that has a group of Democratic state lawmakers appalled and angling for a change. They are eyeing a recent court vacancy. We had a Mobile Circuit Court Judge uh, James Patterson passed away in January. And so now the governor has to fill the vacancy. They are hoping now that Alabama Governor Kay Ivey will appoint a minority judge to Alabama's second largest county. I get it. I understand why they're saying it. I know Vivian Figures, State Senator Vivian Figures. I know Barbara Drummond. But Vivian Figures, I know better than, than Representative Drummond. But the two of them are now calling for it based upon ethnic demographics, period. They're not saying anything in their comments in this article about qualifications or merit or experience or capabilities. No. Barbara Drummond says, if you look at the courts, it's not indicative of the people we serve. When you look at the numbers of people that go through that court system, a majority of those are minorities. It would seem only fair we have a minority in our court system. Really? That's it? You don't want someone who's really good at being a judge. You just want to make sure they're the same skin color. State Senator Vivian Figures, Democrat from Mobile, says, in a diversified county like Mobile, it's unconscionable we don't have at least one. Well, the state's overall population demographics are 68% white, 27 black. That sets the breakdown. The state's circuit court judges, there's 146 of them statewide, are 78% white, 22% black. That's really not far off the mark. But all that to say, it's important to them that we have a race-based criteria for deciding who is going to be administering blind justice. What about this one? How about Texas A&M? Story on the Washington Times that came out just a few months ago. Washington Times, Texas A&M slapped with a reverse discrimination lawsuit by a white professor. Huh. University of Texas professor has filed a reverse discrimination lawsuit against rival Texas A&M claiming that its affirmative action policies prevented him from getting a job there solely because he's white. In a class action suit filed September 10th of last year, um, 
Associate Finance Professor Richard Lowry argues that Texas A&M's hiring policies favored underrepresented minority groups, excluding white and Asian men. In other words, and we see this other places, BIPOC only, white and Asian men need not apply. His lawsuit asked for a federal judge in Houston to declare the university's race and sex preferences to be patently illegal. I I, got to tell you, if, if that's the case, if there's not something in the personnel file that says this dude ain't qualified, he's a hack. You know, if there's not something in the file that says we didn't hire him because of merit, he's going to have a claim. And this goes on and on through society right now. And, and I, I understand, on the one hand, that racism has been around and is still around at times in our nation. Show me a country where it's not. Show me a country in this world where racism does not exist. That's not an excuse. What I'm saying is stop trying to pretend that we're systemically racist because we're not. And stop trying to say that we are the harbinger of all bad things because racism racism exists everywhere. And guess what? The country that has led the way in pushing back on it the most, more than any other nation in the history of the world, the United States of America. But you live in Alabama where they used to be the capital of the Confederacy. Yes, I do. It's also the birthplace of the civil rights movement. And so don't try and tell me we haven't made changes And please don't try and portray that we are systemically racist as a nation because we're not. And when I see things like this next story, Charlie Kirk wrote a piece that came out in May of last year. I seem to recall talking about it on my show. But Charlie Kirk points out, he says, the one remaining American institution that did not appear to be overtly politicized, the U.S. military, has become incredibly and dangerously so under the Biden regime. And it's not going to end well for our country if it keeps on. The the comments that brought into this point was when Air Force Major General, a two-star, when Air Force Major General Ed Thomas, who was chief of recruiting command for the Air Force, wrote in Yahoo News that there are, get this, too many white males flying fighter planes. That's a head of recruiting command, a two-star general, who I would guarantee has not been disciplined for making that statement who literally lamented that 86% of the service's pilots are white men. Thomas himself is white. And after the death of George Floyd, he felt compelled that the service needed to change the ethnic makeup of one of the toughest jobs in the whole freaking world, flying a fighter plane. Can you imagine? It's not about whether you can land on a carrier deck pitching in open seas. It's not about whether you can um, use all the multi-heads-up displays and, and target your, you know, your enemy and do what you got to do to become an ace in combat. No, it's not about that at all. It's about whether or not we have the proper demographics, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I got to tell you, that's a messed up approach. And that two-star ought to be ashamed. And somebody should have reached out and smacked him down and made sure that he understands his job in recruiting command is to go find us the best pilots. Not the blackest or the whitest or the reddest pilots. No, his job is to find the best pilots and encourage them to have a career that is lasting and sustaining and benefits this nation. I'm on a roll right now, bro. I'm just on a roll. Well, listen, we're going to come back from the break and we'll talk about it some more. But yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts? Tell me if you want to. Is is this a thing? Is it reverse discrimination or is it just actually just discrimination? Yeah. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, saving the world one soundbite at a time. Hey, I got to tell you, Just Love Coffee Cafe has been with us for quite a while now, and they are doing an amazing job. We got two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville. And let me just suggest something to you. Tomorrow at lunch, it's time for something different. Just, just you're, you're not doing the whole the whole thing about, you know, whether or not you're going to get the burger or you're going to bring the ham sandwich. I said this yesterday. Maybe you want to take lunch a little different route. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Is it? They got coffee, right? Yeah, well, yes, Just Love Coffee Cafe. They got great coffees. You can go there any time of the day and get you a good coffee break. But I'm just saying the menu, though, the menu. Listen, how about the Jive Turkey Wrap? Flour, tortilla, turkey, bacon, provolone, spinach, and creamy pepper jelly spread served with chips and a pickle spear. How about the roast beef and cheddar melt? Roast beef and cheddar cheese on a sourdough bread served with a side of sun-dried tomatoes, chips, and a pickle spear and cooked in a waffle iron, by the way, which makes it have this very crazy cool texture. They got wraps. They got sandwiches. They got soups. They got salads. I'm just saying this is going to be a different, better kind of lunch than you might normally get. So consider it tomorrow. Just Love Coffee Cafe. Two locations, Hughes Road in Madison, going out yonder towards City Hall, and the other on South Parkway in Huntsville down there near Whole Foods. Tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. I would appreciate it. Um, wrapping this segment up, I will tell you, so Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, um, Shane from Gadsden, just texted in. He says, yeah, but Biden said uh, nominating a black woman, she doesn't qualify since she didn't know what a woman is. <laughs> That's Excellent point, Shane Daddy. Excellent point. Um, but you know what, though? Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson was uh, commenting recently in a, um, a case involving Alabama, believe it or not. So, yeah, a story that came out in October. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a racial gerrymandering case on electable and on, 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 you know, um, congressional districts in the state of Alabama that's up before the Supreme Court right now. What happens in this case is going to be huge when it comes to things like you know, whether or not you can draw a line that you have to consider race or not. See, here's the thing. The odd thing is, if we say we consider race in the drawing of the lines, we get in trouble. If we say we didn't, we still get in trouble. It's, it's, like, it's a no-win situation. Well, so State Solicitor of Alabama, General, uh, uh, State Solicitor General Edmund LaCour, he argued before the Supreme Court that race cannot be used as a factor to identify an appropriate majority-minority congressional district because racial classifications, even benign or remedial, are inherently discriminatory. Basically, what he's saying is, if we consider race at all, if we tell you that race played in, then we, you know, we're wrong from the get-go. Well, this article from Reuters calls that the myth of reverse racism, and Katanji Brown-Jackson, Justice Jackson, she said in her words, quote, the framers themselves adopted the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, in a race-conscious way. Um, and, her, of course, her comments caused a stir. And her point was this a response to the radical argument, this radical, radical argument made by Alabama in a racial gerrymandering suit brought by black voters and advocacy groups. So we'll see. But right now, if we were to draw one and say, well, we felt it was necessary to draw an all-white or an all-Hispanic district, it would, it would get thrown out on its ear. But when we draw one where they don't think there's enough black representation, then we have to be called on the carpet to answer for why we did. What is the, what is the solution here? We'll find out. How about this? New York Times, November of last year. It would appear 
it would appear, the Supreme Court again, the Supreme Court is intoning that it may actually throw out race-based college admissions. Race-based college admissions. Why are there race-based? I thought your ACT score is what mattered. I thought your ability to handle the academics and the rigors of college were what mattered. No, there are indeed race-based college admissions. New York Times reports uh, questioning from the members of the court's six-justice conservative majority was sharp and skeptical. I've heard the word diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means, said Justice Clarence Thomas. It seems to mean everything for everyone. And Justice Alito also asked a similar question about what he called the underrepresented minority. What does that mean, he asked. So if the court does away with affirmative action at colleges, um, and this one relates to one at Harvard and one at University of North Carolina, both combined into one case, then we're going to see a change. Because right now, there are some who believe that we have to have college admissions that are um, quota-based, that we have to have X number of... And then the others say, well, if we don't do that, then white privilege will make sure that no one ever gets in. Well, I, so I got news. I can look around right now and I can find wonderfully qualified individuals of every skin color. I can think of people in my state and outside my state. It doesn't matter what skin color they are. They have the merit. They have the acumen. They have the abilities. If you want to have scholarships, that's fine. If you want to expand your admissions capability, that's fine. But you can't tell people of one skin color they're not welcome because you need more of another skin color because all that is is discrimination. That's all that is. That's all that is. Well, it's diversity hiring. And the whole DEI mess is really creating a conundrum. I mean, I, I would hate to be, I've got a family member right now who is finishing up a degree in human resources and I just don't know that I'd want that career right now because that's tough. Because right now between diversity, equity and inclusion and affirmative action and you know the, any number of ways you can offend somebody and whether or not you use the right pronouns at the office, I'm just saying, I don't know that I could work in the HR field right now. I've got a good friend who is a nationally renowned expert on HR. He's been on the show a couple of times. And he is constantly having to go and, and, and basically upgrade his knowledge of the latest. And it's not always about, oh, by the way, what's in the law. Sometimes it's just about woke culture demanding a policy. And then you have to go either unwind the policy or just accept it. And, and, and it, it's, it's, it's a nut roll. Oh, man. Boomer, <laughs> how are we doing? We good. <laughs> you were on a roll. I was on a roll. Yes. That was like a, that was like a, like a mini monologue there. But um, good roll. Well, we'll see. We'll see. More to come on it. But um, I do believe that uh, tomorrow is going to be a good show. We'll be back with plenty of stuff. Plenty of stuff. Plenty of stuff. In fact, <laughs> I'm pretty sure tomorrow's Thursday. That means Boomer McQueen. Yeah, Boomer McQueen Day. Boomer McQueen Day because Boomer McQueen got a podcast, which is kicking right now. Oh, it is. And there's two new episodes up right now. Oh, man. Go check them out. All right, folks, listen. <laughs> all our stuff on Right Side Radio and the entire multiverse of Right Side is podcasted. You can catch it. You can replay it. You can send it to somebody. And you definitely need to catch the new one. The Boomer McQueen Right Life Podcast. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We love you all, and we'll see you tomorrow.